Welcome to the Recovery Lab podcast. We're glad you were able to join us. Recovery Lab hopes to destigmatize addiction and normalize recovery. Our platform provides an avenue to share the many stories of those that have recovered from addiction, providing for the listener the most basic antidote to addiction. Hope. All right, everybody, we're back. This is episode, as long as my arithmetic is right, 52. 52, how about 52 that? 52 of the Recovery Lab podcast series. I love it. I know it. I love it. I'm Drew Hassan. I'm Daniel Anderson. We are the Recovery Lab. We're joined today by Ivana Williams, who's graciously joined us kind of last minute. So we yeah. owe you one. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. This this means a lot to us, and we, we really appreciate and we're super eager to hear your perspective on um, Ivana is a member of the law enforcement community here locally, and um, she's uh, seen a lot of things um, and dealt with a lot of individuals, I imagine, that are struggling with drugs and alcohol, and it's going to be interesting to hear her perspective on how she handles and how um, how that community kind of handles and rallies around folks like that that need issues. So before we do that, I have to talk about something. I have to talk about something, Drew. So, and even I don't know what this is. Now you, know exactly, you know exactly what this is. All right, so last night, last night I was scheduled to go and take an AA meeting to um, Harbor House, which for those of you that don't know, it's a state-run uh, rehab facility down in Byram. Um, they do a lot of great work for, for a lot of people, um, and it's, it's, a, it's a good, safe place. Well, my home group was scheduled to take a meeting out there. Uh, the person that was going to go, uh, something happened and was not able uh, to go. So a representative from our meeting called me and said, Hey, you know, what do you want to do? No, we don't have any men to go to the meeting on Saturday. And I was like, well, I mean, when the hand of AA reaches out, what do we do? We, we slap it. We, <laughs> we say yes. We say yes. <laughs> so, so I agreed to go and it just so happened that, um, uh, the gentleman that works for me, um, is also in recovery. So I, I was like, Hey, you know, do you want to, I was talking to him at work. I was like, hey, you want to go out with me on Saturday? He was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So I was like, all right, great. So yesterday afternoon, I was um, kind of mentally preparing for the last time I went out to Harbor House and gave my story. It was, I just told my story and my life story and all that. And um, it was good, but I wanted to do something a little bit different this time. Spice it up. Son. Spice it up. It's spicy, spicy. So what I did was um, I, I, thought about what's something that's meaningful in my life that um, could be helpful to these men in early sobriety. And do you know what the number one thing that came to my mind was? Ice bath. Ice bath, that's right, that's right. So what I did was uh, I, I thought that the the likelihood of Harbor House clearing me uh, to take an ice bath out there was probably zero. zero. Um, but you know what? I was like, uh, God was like, just why don't you call him? Call him. And I was like, okay. So I called him and um, I talked with whoever I talked to and then they called their supervisor and the supervisor said, yeah, absolutely. Do whatever you want to do. We trust you. And I was like, oh man. And it, like my, my heart rate started racing because I knew exactly what was about to go on. I thought I knew what was about to go on. And that's these, these men in early sobriety experiencing and doing something really, really hard together. And I thought that 
this could turn into a really, really incredible thing. So my buddy and I, we went and uh, picked up the ice bath from uh, Zed, um, and he let us borrow it, and super grateful to him for that. Uh, we went and grabbed a, grabbed a bite to eat, went to twice the ice, got 240 pounds of ice, loaded it in the back of the car, and, and drove on down there. And um, I kid you not, we, we set it all up, and I went first, and then Tyler went after me, and and then the the patients started to get in, and we we read the it was like a real meeting, like we we were all outside around the ice bath, and they did the readings, you know the twelve the traditions and how it works and more about alcoholism, uh, so we did all the readings, uh, said the serenity prayer at the beginning, and then I talked a little bit about how um, the ice bath has changed my life and how it's been so beneficial to my mental health. Um, and the guys at first were kind of like, who, who's this asshole? Like, you know what I mean? Like the, what's going on here? Um, but the more I started talking about it and God kind of, I felt like was kind of speaking through me um, because I, I really don't remember exactly what I said, but I was passionate about it. And I was, I was confident that these guys were going to have a good time with this. And they hopped in and, I kid you not, it was it was the most remarkable experience that I've ever experienced in my life. So these guys would get in, and the water with 240 pounds and 100-gallon uh, trough, the water got down to about 32 degrees. So I usually do ice bath at 43 degrees. Um, so 32 was, I mean, that's 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 hard. That's shocking. That's shockingly difficult. For those of you who don't do it, there is, there's a huge difference between forty three and thirty nine degrees. A hundred percent. And there, there's an exponential increase in the difficulty from thirty nine to thirty five. Right. And the closer you get to thirty two, is it's very very yeah difficult. It's super 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 difficult. So the uh, the first guy got in and. Um, he, he handled it like a champ. Um, and, but he was, it, it was clear that he was struggling. Like it's a hard thing to do. And, and suddenly what I experienced was all of, there was probably 30 men out there. All of these men realized that he was going through a hard thing and struggling with this hard thing. And they all rallied around him. They all came and stand around, stood around us. And started encouraging this guy. You got this. You got this. You got this. You can do it, man. You, you can do it. You can do it. And just clapping for him and yelling and screaming and just rapping. Built a real sense of community. Yes, yes, yes. And then he was he was having a hard time, that first guy. And um, 30 seconds. We, we all did three minutes. So 30 seconds left. Everybody starts counting down. 30 29, 28, 27. And everybody was screaming and counting down. And it was, it was like this magical experience that I've never experienced before. And then we got down to five, four, three, two, one. And everyone jumped and roared. And they were just, it was, it was crazy. I've never experienced anything like that before. Everyone was just happy and, 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 
we were we just done something together that was really really hard and then the next guy got in and then the next guy the next guy the next guy and then my highlight of the night there was this one guy that was very very quiet and he was he was likable but you could tell that he was really struggling with some hard stuff right in in, in his mind it was it was a really he was having a hard time right and he was kind of sitting at the back kind of just observing everyone and everyone was like, Hey, you got to come on. And he was like, "Mm." just, he was just sitting there. So one of the guys was going, he had about 10 seconds left and uh, we started counting down to 10, nine, eight. And here comes this guy that never talks and was very, very closed off. And he runs with all of his clothes on jeans, shirt, a, a, a jacket, he runs and he jumps in the ice bath with this other dude and sits all the way down. And everyone just starts screaming and yelling and clapping. And like, it was, it was like this guy perhaps got a little taste of hope for the first time in his, in his sobriety. And he sat down and he stayed that three minutes. The second, the, the first, the guy that was in there got on out and then everyone rallied around this guy and we just, we were clapping and it was exciting. And he made that whole three minutes. And when he got out, everyone wrapped their hugs, wrapped their arms around him, gave him a huge hug, giving him high fives. It was the most magical thing that couldn't have happened. Wasn't anything that I did. That was completely God working in these men's lives and in my life. That was, it was just, it was just magical. So thank you to Harbor House for allowing us and trusting us to come out there and I'll get off my box now, but it just, that's a good story. It was, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. So we have this incredible person here sitting next to us right now. So I promise we're going to get to you, but I, I just, no, I like the story. Yeah. That was one of the, it was just magic, man. Just just magic. And then and Tyler and I on the way home, we, we had an opportunity to talk about, you know, gratitude and, and just have a really, really great post ice bath talk. And it was just phenomenal. So thanks for letting me share about that. That was really, really awesome. I appreciate so, your sharing. Yeah, no worries. So Ivana Williams. Hey. Well, hey, thanks for asking me to come out here. Today. Yeah, of course. Of course. So Ivana. Um, has her own podcast. Uh, it's called. Do you? Yes, yeah. she does. What's it called? <laughs> it's called Sippy Girls. Yes. And Danny over here is the producer for the show. Is what? He now? what? 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 So, <laughs> this ice bath that he's been talking about. Uh, me and Ashley Jones, the other host of the show, we participated in it. And since the first time we met Danny, he was like, "Oh, you got to do this cold plunge." Well, it is true that the hardest part of the cold plunge is not talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we kept I don't, we weren't putting it off by any means, but we it just the scheduling didn't work, and we finally did it last week, and he told me about what had happened last night going to the recovery place, and he said, "I want all of Sippy Girls to do it. And I was actually on the phone with somebody last night, and I saw that message, and I told her, I was like, well, I guess you're going to get an opportunity to try the cold plunge, too. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we've got some more people that are definitely awesome. going to do it. And it's uh, worth it. Yeah. 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 I think it'd be great. And, you know, right now we have, like, 20 members. So it might end up being more. We'll have to figure that part out. Well, there were 30 people that did it last night. Okay. So – 
we can we can borrow Zach's trough again, set it up outside behind the studio, and everyone can get every single one of those sippy girls can hop in there. Yeah, you could do it back there and have yeah. a modicum of privacy. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's there's nobody that drives back there. It's safe. It's it's completely protected. Um, it'd be an awesome, awesome opportunity for every one of those sippy girls to really connect with each other and do that hard thing together. Right. And you know, a lot of uh, businesses, they do these type of challenges with, mm-hmm. and there's trying to build camaraderie between everybody. So same concept. Right. You know, so that's exactly it's right. Idea. It's kind yeah. of doing ropes course. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you say the word and it happens. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's just, <laughs> there's, there's no if, ands or buts. It's going to happen when you say okay. it needs to happen. All right. So we, we, so, all right. So, uh, sippy girls podcast. Um, and also you can check them out at uh, sippygirls.org slash podcast. That's probably the easiest way to find them. What's that website again? Sippygirls.org slash podcast. You can also find it on every podcast platform, but it's a lot easier. And you get to check out their website. They just re- redid their website. Right. It's looking really good. And that's probably the easiest way for everyone to be able to access their podcast because they're doing really, really great things. They're doing phenomenal things for women in Mississippi and I have a feeling that this is just the beginning of a nationwide and even possibly a worldwide conglomerate of women doing incredible things. So it's all kind of started right here with these girls. And I'm super excited to, to see where, where God's going to take this, this, uh, this group of ladies. So, Absolutely. I'm excited yeah, too. Yeah. It's going to be, I, I, it's, it's going to be really, really neat. So, <laughs> so um, the, the reason that we, we got you on here is we have every week we talk about, we talk with rather um, folks that are kind of, well, last week was a little different with Jeff, but um, generally our guests are either alcoholics or addicts themselves. But um, we also, uh, we had, we've had a string of professionals. Yeah. We had Bodie McDonald. We've had a, the Ridgeland city prosecutor, two friends of mine that do family law and talk about how youth court, uh, you know, is involved and because, I mean, if you have children and you develop a thriving drug addiction, you may find yourself in youth court. Right. Which isn't pleasant for anyone. Right. Uh, so, so have you, um, have you seen firsthand or can you recall an instance where you knew that this person, whoever you're dealing with, really really had an issue with either drugs or alcohol or is it just or do you kind of have an idea when someone comes across your 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 plate like that or um what what is it like is there like a like a unspoken okay this guy needs help or what what is that so, like unfortunately for law enforcement and I, I can't speak for everybody sure but for the majority of us it is a sad situation because we have to stay so cold when it comes to our job and somebody who is addicted, we can't, oh, I'm so sorry, because our job is not to get you necessarily help. Console them. Yeah. Yes. It's more of to get you off the streets. You know, we're dealing with law, and so we either are going to arrest you or give you some type of citation or something. You're probably going to jail with us, not, hey, let me take you to a rehab place. Right. That's up to the judge. And so for us, we don't really take into consideration their feelings and I know that sounds bad, but that's just how it is on our side, you know? Well, you I don't to. know that I object to that, really. I mean, I we, y'all are a necessary component to a civil society. and 
it's just one of those like if you can't get help on your own or through other methods, this will eventually lead you hopefully to that help. Right. So whether you're okay, you get arrested and then you got to go see a judge. Well, the only way to get out of jail is if you go through that 60 day rehab or whatever it might be, 60, 90 days, whatever the judge decides. So ultimately that arrest may lead to your sobriety. However, we don't get to determine that. All our job is, is to take you off the road, the streets, out of that house, whatever it is, that's our job at that time. Right. So I've seen, I've gone to a house. um, I was actually working at Brandon PD and we went to a domestic. So the mother had her 40 year old son live with him, with her. And she, and he was still in stuff and living out. He had a place, a room there, but he would only show up to go steal something from her and go sell it for some more meth. Right. And then his, his girlfriend showed up and she was actually like high at the time and she was just uh, tweaking. So just constantly moving around and we're like, so when's the last time you took something? Oh, I, I don't, I don't use anything. And she's just like, constantly tweaking. Yeah. And then scratching, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So even though I haven't done that, I know what it looks like. Right. And unfortunately, I can't be like, hey, let me help you. Let me take you to the doctor. I can't do that. Right. It's more of if I find something on you, the only way I could help you is if I do arrest you. Yeah, and that's – but I think it's important for you to not sell yourself short because – um, not too long, maybe we guess six months ago, I reached out to Gary Windham and, and was like, Hey, can I, 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 I want to see what you deal with on a daily basis. And, um, I was thinking about doing some things with, um, possibly running for office and, mm-hmm. uh, we had, um, crossed paths in the past and I had his number. So I reached out he's like, yeah, come on, come, come, uh, do a ride along with me. I was like, all right, great. So we did that. We hung out, we drove around all day. Um, it was really, really great. But one of the things that he showed me that really, really stuck with me was um, he showed me like either a, I think it was a text on his phone or a picture or something of somebody that um, had been arrested by Mr. Wyndham um, and as a result of that had completely changed his life around. And now this person had like two years sober mm-hmm. um, and he was sending Mr. Wyndham up. Uh, a thank you for being placed in his life to be that that proverbial brick wall that so many alcoholics and, and addicts need in order to be like, oh, okay, this is the end of the road. I don't have any other options right now, so it's time to do something different. Right. And so, right. so, like, don't just just try to practice gratitude for being able to be a part of these people's lives because whether you know it or not, you could be that brick wall that changes everything for them. Well, going off your example, I actually had something like that happen. I ended up pulling somebody over. It was two o'clock on a Saturday, you know, there's not afternoon or uh, afternoon. Yeah. There's not a lot of people out drinking and driving on Saturdays. Not that time, maybe summertime, trying to go to the reservoir or something like that. It's a little different or in certain parts of the state. But where I work, it's not very likely, you know. People are out just shopping or doing their regular uh, Saturday afternoon activities. So this guy was hauling butt down I-20 and kind of passes me, and I'm in my 
patrol car. And I'm like, okay, that's odd. So I follow him. He like runs off the road a little bit. So I end up pulling him over and I get up to the car, immediately smell alcohol. Yeah. And, uh, I asked him if he's been drinking and stuff and he's like, yeah, I've had a little bit. I was like, okay, well, what's a little bit? Do they always say two drinks? Oh yes. It's always, <laughs> it's always two. And then some of them actually don't want to lie to you. So they'll say, I've had two drinks. Okay. What type of drinks? Bottles of vodka. Yeah. <laughs> well, I they think- all think that they're going to admit to it just a little bit. And they don't know that they've just given the officer probable cause to like climb all up in their business. Right. I right. mean, well, yeah, I mean, it's mainly, it's more of an investigation at that time. Right. So like if I smell marijuana in the car, I can automatically search the vehicle. I don't have to ask for permission for right. me though, <laughs> out of being just polite. I'll say, hey, do you mind if I search this vehicle? Is there anything illegal in it? And sometimes they're like, no, no, you can't. I was like, well, I was just trying to be polite. I actually can, so step out. And, you know, I I don't like to be rude, so if I can avoid that, that's what I'm going to do. But this guy, so he was drinking. He admitted to it. I I kept asking him further and further, like, okay, well, what type of alcohol? Or, you know, what what two drinks? Oh, I had uh, some cranberry and vodka. Okay, well, how much cranberry was it and how much <laughs> vodka? And then he it would go and go and go. It ended up being like a big 24-ounce yeah. cup that had it, – it probably was like six shots. Right, right, in right. Each, <laughs> in each glass. I'm like, okay. So he, like, did a little portable test. He did SS, SFST. What is That's that? That's a uh, standard field sobriety test. Oh, okay. And – uh, I won't mention the other part that he did. It's kind of embarrassing. and um, But, yeah, I'm sure you guys maybe could guess. Uh, so I had to unfortunately arrest him and take him to jail with him in my seat. Oh. <laughs> and um, But getting to what I was going to say is that about six months later, I had a neighbor pull up, and he's like, hey, I just want to let you know this guy that you arrested six months ago He's a friend of mine, and he was talking about you the other day, and he told I, he connected that we we knew each other, and I was like, okay, so who's this guy? And he told me a little bit. I was like, oh, okay, I remember who it is, and he said, uh, my friend wanted to tell you thank you for arresting him and taking him to jail that day because he has been six months sober since then. Hell yeah, that had to make you feel pretty good. It did, and this is gonna like completely change the subject or like so i had the same thing happen but it was with marijuana right yeah the guy actually saw me in the gym that i had arrested for marijuana and he told me he's like hey i want to thank you for arresting me after i got arrested i just i changed my life i'm now a teacher and i haven't smoked any marijuana in six months a year whatever it was right but then it was probably like maybe six months Three to six months after that, and I, I can't, I don't remember the time frame exactly, but I ended up pulling him over again, smelling weed in the car. Yeah. So, look, what are love y'all the g- stories, but how, sometimes they how do y'all sure. handle the impending, you know, nightmare of legalized marijuana? Um, it's all new to us, it's new to the entire state, really. So, we constantly have updates on the new law and what pertains to and what we can and can't do because we want to be in our legal bounds of what right you know we charge somebody with 
we don't want to charge somebody with something that we can't charge them with. You know, we don't want to take somebody to jail if they don't need to go to jail. Right. So there's a lot of regulations that people don't realize with that whole medical marijuana card. A lot of people don't realize that you can't have a gun. Right. I own a gun store, and if you come in and even smell like you've smoked marijuana, I can't sell you a gun. So they don't realize that if you had that medical marijuana card, you cannot possess a firearm, or at least not buy one. So I don't know. Is it illegal to possess one? or that, See, that's one of those like iffy things. I've heard a couple different stories. Like I know I can't sell you one if you have that card, but I don't know if it's illegal to possess one. Right. You just not, you might not be able to buy it, you know? So that's, there's a lot of iffy gray area there that even I don't know yet. Right. And that's where our attorneys at our department are trying to teach us uh, as soon as they find out. Right, you know? right, right. So every, everything's new right now. Right, yeah. It's, it's got to be hard. You know, one thing that I always think of is, you know, you see all those stories and, and, um, videos on the on the television that talk about or that show you know cops there was one that i saw that this guy it was a simple um traffic citation pullover and the these guys jumped out with guns and started ambushing the cop like what do you what is it like when you're walking up say you you pull somebody over you suspect them of whatever um are you on super super high alert that something like that could happen or are you are you more calm like what's your mindset when you get out of your car and walk up to their window are you ready to to battle or are you what's that like no i mean i've been doing it for quite some time now you know i started out as at a local level and then now i work for a state agency so i've been doing off and on law enforcement for 11 years and so I've pulled over a lot of cars, and there's a standard that seems to go. You know, you pull over, they pull over pretty quickly. You know, they roll down their window already. They might be, you know, full, you know, looking for something in the car. They're looking for their license. It's normal, right? And I know there's no such thing as normal traffic stop. That's what they try to teach you all the time. Always stay on alert. But you do. You you see what is normal, what's not. So whenever something's not normal, it starts making those hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Like, what's going on? And so in the academy, we're taught attention to detail. And that's what we pay attention to is that little bit that if you weren't trained properly, you're not going to pay attention to it. But if you're trained properly, that little bit like, hey, they took a little bit longer to pull over or their windows still aren't you know, roll down, or they have their foot on the brake. You know, just little things like that that a lot of people don't think about, we see, and it just is like, why are they doing that? And it kind of puts you on that high alert at that point. Mm-hmm. If, and, I mean, anything could happen at any time. That normal traffic stop that everything does go right, that you don't notice anything in particular that stands out, it could be your last traffic stop. You right. just don't know, but that's – that's that typical normal one versus the ones that put you on high alert. So you're not always on high alert until you feel like there's something different about this. So like I had pulled somebody over, um, it's like midnight one night, uh, middle of nowhere, like I guess you would say south of Puckett. And um, I pulled him over for speeding. 
He finally pulls over maybe two, three miles up, yeah, which is odd. Mm-hmm. And then whenever he, I stop him, I had the light on him, he puts his arm out the window with his license. With right hand, license. Most people do it with the left. Right. With his right hand, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so I thought that was odd. I was like, let me see both your hands. And I never say that. And so he's like, oh, he shows me the hands and all that. And I go tell him why I stopped him. I get his license, go back and issue him citation, come back up. And when I came back up, I saw a gun right here between a seat and a console. I didn't see that before. And I asked him, I said, where was that gun before? He said, well, it was in my door and I was trying to unload it. That's what he was doing with his left hand. So it just shows you that if if he were to be a bad guy, he wasn't. He just thought I would be scared about a gun. Don't I mean, like, don't do that. You know, don't even touch a gun if you're getting pulled over. But he was worried about my safety, so he was just trying to unload the gun. And, but I noticed it. I noticed that little odd thing. Something's that no, off, yeah. That nobody, you know, why take three more miles to pull over? Why put your right, you know, your arm out? You know, just little things I picked up on and kind of. What do you think he was highway. doing in the three miles it took him to pull over? Probably still trying to kind of mess Because you that. can unload a gun in, in, yeah. in the time it takes. I mean, so, I, I mean, and I didn't, I never smelled anything or he wasn't drinking. You had no probable cause for anything. Other no, than. he just uh, was just speeding, joyriding basically. And I mean, he had his son in the car, like his 18 year old son or whatever. So I never thought anything after. I saw the gun afterwards, and I asked him about it, and he said that the gun was over here. He's trying to unload it. Okay. Like, I calmed down. I realized that makes sense. Now, it, what Did it make sense for him to actually be doing that? No, he should not have been doing that, but you get what I'm saying. Right, like, right. It was just that little odd attention to detail that made that hair stand up. So what? It, what is something, and I guess that just comes from being able to be present in that comes from training and experience, I take it, right? Oh, yes. Training and experience because you can't train somebody on body language. Mm-hmm. You just have to experience. You have to see what they do and what they don't do over time and see how people typically lie and try to hide something. So, yeah, it's just it's really more experience than um, than even training. Right. One thing, one thing that I love – I absolutely love these days is not fearing those blue lights. You know what I mean? You know what you smell what I'm stepping I in. Know. Yeah. I know exactly what you're um, because I don't have any meth in the car today. I don't have any alcohol in the car or in my system. Um, and there's a freedom that's associated with that and, and not having to worry. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, Often, yeah, <laughs> like I don't, I don't often speed and I try to be the best human that I can. Um, but sometimes like going across the spillway and there's nobody around, I, I mean, I'll, I'll do a little speed and I, you know, I'm not perfect, but, um, what, what would, um, and maybe I'll edit that out. <laughs> so for, for someone, I say all that to say this. So when someone, you, you flip the blue lights on, they know they're about to get pulled over. What can they do to make the interchange between you or the exchange between you and them go as smoothly and without any issues as possible? What are some like maybe three or four points that, okay, if you do this, 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 and this, we're not going to have any issues. You're going to get your citation. We're going to have a good exchange and we're going to go about our day. Well, it's, I mean, you got to remember that, we saw you break the law in some way, right? 
we're just doing a job like you would do a job when you go to work, right? So we are we do not feel any hostility towards you. I don't care that you speed, but you're breaking the law and I have a job to do, right? right. It doesn't hurt my feelings. It's not my highway. This, you know, like, right, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I don't get offended by that. And um, so I, I hope that you don't get offended that I do my job, you know? And if you want to contest it, by all means, hey, we'll go to court and we'll contest it. That's why we have judges. I don't get offended by that either. Some officers do. But the best thing to do is if you do have dark windows, Go ahead and let them down. They're going to ask you to let them down anyway. Might as well go ahead. Right. Um, if you have your license close by, get it. If it's you've got to dig for it and all that, just wait until the officer gets up there. Like, you don't have to have it immediately when we get up there. i much rather me see what you're doing if you've got to dig in something than you start digging and I see the car move in. And it that's a little bit like, what are what you are hiding? up to? Yeah. They're hiding something. Yeah. You know they're hiding something. So, uh, just... Windows roll down, just stay, just try not to move too much and just wait for us to get up there and talk to, talk to you. Uh, a lot of officers don't like whenever you say, what did you pull me over for? Right. Like, let us explain what we pulled you over for. I, again, I don't care if you, if I pull, <laughs> if I come up and I'm like, uh, Hey, I, I need to see your license and insurance. Right. And they immediately, well, what you pulled me over for? I really don't care. I'll go ahead and say, well, I pulled you over for going 75 and a 55. Can I see your license? Because it eliminates the argument, you right. know? Not, not always. Sometimes, oh, I wasn't speeding or this person was speeding in front of me. Again, I don't care. I, I'm like, well, we can't catch them all. I pulled you over. So can I see your license? After three times of me asking, I'm about to call a tow truck. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm very polite, but there's like a switch in me that, I can go from super polite to that law enforcement mode. Right. Of, I'm going to handle what needs to get handled. Yes. I, I, do, I don't want to take you to jail. That spends more time off my day that I could be doing something else. But now I'm having to take you to jail for something simple. Right. You know, so, and then you have to have your car towed and it's just. Like, yeah, a mess. I don't want I don't want you to go through that, you know. But again, not all law enforcement officers are like that. Some, they do not care. Right. So it's just one of those that windows down, try not to move around too much and just be polite. If you have a, a, a gun in the vehicle and you're legal to do so, is it wise to, when you first walk up to the window, say, officer, I have a gun. It's right here. What would you like me to do? Or what? what? Yeah, just uh, for me, if you want to tell me, that's fine. You don't have to. You don't have to divulge any any information that you have a gun it's your right to have a gun some people do it because they want to make me feel safer but i whenever they tell me i'm like okay just don't reach for it and we're we're fine but then some officers if you tell them you have a gun well then they they're going to take you out of the car they're going to get your gun they're going to unload it and put the ammo in the back and like come come on now yeah yeah. they yeah. told you you they had a gun like relax there's no funny business going on here but that's the difference between somebody who just started versus somebody who's been on for a little while. I think I might so. be that second guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put those rounds in the trunk. Just throw them away. Well, look, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, how did the recent guilty pleas of those oh, officers yeah. from Rankin, how has that impacted the, what, what do cops think about that, all that? 
You know, with my type of job, I don't get to be around other officers that much. I'm basically like a lone wolf when it comes to my position at the state agency just because we're so spread out. And um, so I have not even talked about that to anybody. I know that it's kind of a torn situation. Like, I mean, these people have lost their families and they're going to jail or, or whatever their verdict has is. I feel sorry for them. But at the same time, if you committed a crime, you're no better than the people that you've arrested. Right. So do I, but I also feel sorry for people who have committed crimes and are in jail. Like, does everybody deserve their punishment? I mean, I think, I think everybody has to go through that. It's, it's the way of the law, you know, the life, the land. But I actually did a lot of time um, researching parchment. I have a master's degree in Homeland Security, so I did a lot of um, papers on the prison system and what was called the Mississippi, Mississippi system. And it was designed after Angola, which anybody that's from Angola probably would say the opposite, that parchment was not designed after or Angola, like, uh, helped parchment. Right. But what my research showed is that parchment was their first, Angola was their second. I could be wrong. Um, so... Angola designed their prison system after Mississippi. But anyway, I digress. So the system itself, I don't believe, is uh, valid, I guess. There's some crimes that people go to jail for a lot longer versus other people that don't go to jail at all for the same crime. There is, It's not a place where you can really recover, right? You're, it's a breeding ground for more criminal activity right. because people are there and they're trying to survive and they're learning how to make you know, knives in jail and they're learning how to be in gangs so just that leader can protect them whenever they don't have that protection, you know? Right. So it is not going to help them in society. You know, is, do they have to, they did a crime, do they need to be punished? Absolutely. But I don't really necessarily believe it is the prison system or at least there's got to be some type of reform in the prison system otherwise we're just sending people off to parchment to the state penitentiary and you know throwing away the key what happens whenever they do get to parole and um there's something called uh recidivism if i'm saying that uh, correctly and so basically the recidivism rate is all about if somebody comes out and they Re, they are reincarcerated. That's the recidivism rate. And it's so high right now because they don't know what to do after they're out. So a lot of people go out and commit crime just because that's the only thing they know is the prison system. Well, it's three square meals a day. You don't right. have to worry about anything. I mean. They have no life skills. But, I mean, even with our society today, you know, the curriculum that we're teaching our kids and junior high and high school, it's really no life skills anyway. Right. You know, you don't know how to do taxes. You don't know how to run a business. You don't know how to do any electrical or mechanical work or anything. You got to go to college for that. Why are we having to go to college? Why aren't we learning this in high school? Right. Why are we learning about common yeah, core Developing an uh, emphasis on trade skills. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. So, yeah. um, and I don't know where all that even uh, came about, but. No, no, that's good. That's good. I just, uh, I don't, 
I don't really believe in the prison system. Yeah, uh, no, no, that's and I, I'm sure that sounds crazy for me being in law enforcement. So if I can avoid taking a jail, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to like do some other route. But I mean, I guess going back to what you're saying, I, I feel bad for them. I feel bad for anybody that has to go to prison. And, um, but at the same time, like if they're bad apples, I don't want them here either. And it's just one of those things. And I actually knew some of those guys. I mean, I work in the same county. I work two counties at my job, but I know some of them guys, and it is—it's just a sad situation all around. So, and again, not only for them, but just the people that the victims uh, for both sides of the aisle, their family. So all together, like I wish, you know, of course I'm super nice. I wish none of it would have happened, but right. One of those. It is what it is now. Does that does that answer your question? Drew, Drew asked yeah. me. Yeah, I'm. I'm just genuinely curious. I'm not. <laughs> odds are, I'm not going to bump into any law enforcement <laughs> officers between now and on my way home. <laughs> Hopefully, not in the next few days. Well, I know that it was going around on the internet. You know, like where's all the outcry? Like, or not outcry? Why? Why are they not being blasted? Right. Um. I. I don't go blast any criminal when they get arrested or, you know, like, so why would I blast? I mean, they're criminals. Like, why would I blast them? Like, I guess some people me. want, because they're members of the law enforcement, that they're supposed to be held to a higher standard and shouldn't, I guess, is, is kind of why people want to throw the book at them. Maybe, I, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think on that, Drew? Well, I don't. I don't think there's been any shortage of outrage. No, but I mean, at first you didn't really. It did kind of seem like it was kind of under the books until more and more people were like, "Hey, why is this not on the news? The news more often." I mean, again, like my personal preference, I I'm not gonna blast anybody. Right. You know, uh, what is it? The the one who is free of sin. I uh, can cast the first yeah, stone. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I I have my own sin I have to worry about. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to talk about you. That's fair enough. That's absolutely fair enough. Well, I mean, gosh, we've kind of talked about a lot here. Um, and We certainly don't want to take up too much of your time. Drew, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about since we have this law enforcement officer here that's been been in and around the – alcoholic and addict have you caught anybody with like crazy drugs on them oh yeah definitely like most of the time though they give themselves away it's like they want to get caught like subconsciously uh, i don't know about how you feel about that but i mean i can look at your vehicle and know there's some drugs in there <laughs> like i can just you know i can look at you and know that you're on something right and i can tell if you've been on it how long you've been on it if you're on it if you're high now like all these things that a lot of people don't think about like if you've been in law enforcement for a number of years you can see it and you can see the progression too you can see if somebody just started doing it and somebody who's been doing it have you ever seen those pictures you know oh, yeah. Like oh, yeah. the meth heads um yeah who started out and the, f the first time they got arrested and then like right. five years later they they look uh, like a complete different person yes so, you know, I can tell, and 
a lot of people with alcohol, marijuana, it's meth. I mean, it's all the same. Now, I've, I basically, with uh, when it comes to felony amounts, we turn that over to our other sister agency. And um, so they take over the case and they find out kind of where they got it from and all that. But um, I would be the one who would initially stop them. You know, most of the time it's going to deal with if they were involved in a wreck or they looked like they were uh, impaired and driving, so I would pull them over. So, yeah, I mean, I see a lot of different things. And uh, unfortunately for me, I wish I could help more. Right. And I know you, you say that I am helping, but there's times that they don't have anything on them. They're not high, but I can tell that they use, right? right. But I can't do anything. So I am no help. And I tell them, I haven't had some, I pulled somebody over, or she was going through a checkpoint, and I could tell that she was on something. Like, not then, but she has been using. And uh, I was like, so when's the last time you did any illegal drugs? She's like, oh, no, I don't do anything. But yet I can see, like, all the marks and, right. you know, like, the typical signs that we see. And um, I was like, okay, well, here, um, she was actually going to... I don't know if I could say this. Strip, uh, she was going to a strip club. Is that okay? I mean, talk about that. You can. This is a podcast. Okay. Come on. <laughs> All right. She well, she was she was working in a strip club. Yeah. And um, she was saying that she had to go drop off her kids and stuff like that. And she was going up there. I was like, so do you, do you mind me asking personal questions? She's like, no, because I mean, I have no right to like keep you there. You know. Right. And so that's why I ask if it's okay. I talk to them, and they're like, she's like, yeah, this is fine. And so I'm talking to her. I was like, do you like what you do? And she's like, no. I was like, do you want to do something else? She's like, yeah, I would love to do something. Well, she was young and all that. I was like, well, like 28. So I I say that. That's young. Yeah. And um, I was like, you see yourself doing this for a number of years and all that. She's like, well, no, I'm kind of getting older now and stuff like that. I was like, well, why don't you go? Why don't you go to school? Why don't you do this? You know, and I ended up giving her my personal phone number. (coughs) I said, call me. I'll help you sign up for classes. I'll help you try to get some, you know, grants and financial aid and all that and i never do that it's hard enough for me to like do stuff for right myself. right right but i for whatever reason felt like i needed to say that to her however it goes back to you can't help anybody unless they want to be helped did she call right. you she never called well, yeah. yeah if you're listening i was hoping give to her a holler call. yeah i mean you never know man but yeah that was really really nice of you to do that i mean that's well that's that's why i got in law enforcement is because i wanted to help people you know And I want to say majority of people that are in law enforcement, they do want to help. You know, it's not about the blue lights and sirens and going fast. I mean, that's fun. It definitely is fun. Yeah. But majority of us got into it to help people because a lot of people in our sister agency that does more deals more with narcotics, they have always, everyone I've always asked, they say they got into it because their family was uh, addicted to alcohol or drugs or whatever it might be and they don't want to see other family other kids deal with what they had to deal with and that's why they join law enforcement so uh, most of the time it's because we want to help so <laughs> got to switch here we're okay. getting close to the end there so i got to do it got to put my other hat on um well, um, Drew, is there anything else that you want to talk about? No, I mean, we could sit here and talk for another two hours, but I know everybody's got time limits and responsibilities. Look, I, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you. And it's yeah, nice absolutely. to finally get to meet you. It's 
nice to meet you as well. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, we will see you next week. Thank you again. We're out. Uh, Ivana, um, you can check them out at sippygirls.org. You can watch the or listen to the podcast, sippygirls.org slash podcast. And, again, that website is sippygirls.org. Uh, really proud of what these ladies are doing. So thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week.